Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. We've been uh, reading the parable of the talents for four weeks. This is our fifth and final week. I've heard, I've heard little whispers. Some people are like, we're reading the whole parable again, <laughs> to which I say, yes, we are. Um, to get into this week, I have to tell you, I was in Syracuse, New York for a couple weeks this summer, and... Um, you know when you're out of town, sometimes you're out of town and you're, you're out of town on a Sunday and you're like, you know what, I'm going to take a deep breath and we're going to sleep in for a change and just going to relax. And I have a hard time doing that on Sunday morning. It's a little bit of a habit for me. And so we wanted to find a church. I was just with my youngest daughter. And so we went and found a church. Shout out to the gathering place, Syracuse. All right. Um, and I was, you know, I show up kind of expectant because I don't get to go to church very often. And even when I'm there, I'm trying to turn off that thing in my brain that's like paying attention to all the details and how do they do this and what do I do? And so I just was like, Lord, I'm here. Like, I'm, I'm ready. Give me a word. Give me a great sermon. Give me something to just, I'm just ready. I just want to enjoy church. And um, you know how this is going to go. So I was ready for it. We walked in and the, the pastor gets up and he goes, we have a special guest preacher today. And I went, okay, special. All right, Lord, special. Here it goes. And he was their brand new representative to their missionaries, to the indigenous population of central New York, and he was going to speak on how to reach Native Americans in their region. And I went, what? This is not, I mean, like, in my honest, so just so you know, we've all had this stuff. My honest heart, I went, this is, this is not what I came here for. Like, this is not what I'm waiting for to uh, hijack the song we just sang. Like, this is, what is this about? It felt like in the moment it was going to be completely irrelevant to me. And I only tell you this part of the story because I tell you the next part, which is to say, I said, God, this isn't funny. Maybe tell me what you want me to hear. Like I'm here. There's a reason you have me here. This is not on accident. I could have gone to a hundred churches. We landed here. What do you have me here for? What do you need me to hear? Sometimes you're in this place and you go, oh, I don't know. This is, uh. And I just want to encourage you. Sometimes you need to ask the question, God, what do you want me to hear? Because often it isn't the thing that I set out to say, but it's something God wants to use through something else we're talking about to go, but this is what you needed to hear. Because I was sitting there listening to this representative to the missionaries to the Native American tribes of central New York. And he said at one point, the best people to reach the tribe are already in the tribe. And I went, ah, ah, okay. And that's where we're going to go today. Let's read the parable. Matthew 25. Matthew 25, verse 14. Act like you haven't heard it before. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. And he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made you five talents more. 
And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, master, you delivered to me two talents. And here I've made two talents more. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had received the one talent came forward. And he said, master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and I gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, so we've established over the previous four weeks that talents represent an inheritance given to us by God. And we've kind of taken different looks at this. So what could it be? Could it be a little of this or could it be a little of that? God entrusts us with them and he wants a return on them. We've said that their Holy Spirit fueled time or, or skills, gifts, talents, actual talents, or even our treasure, our resources. And so today we add to that, we add the idea of tribe. So it had to be a T because time, talent, treasure. But I think God entrusts you with time, talent, treasure. And I also think he entrusts you with tribe. You've been given a tribe. You have a tribe whether you know it or not. We are not tribal people in uh, the Native American indigenous people sense. We are tribal people very much so in that all human beings want to be with other human beings. And we all associate and identify with people. You were designed for community. And your modern tribe is a function of mostly two things, your, your um, place, so where you are, and the activities you engage in, which is you maybe live in Northwest Ohio, and then you engage in certain activities. What are those activities? Maybe you are in a bowling league and you find people in your tribe there. Maybe you work at a certain office place and there's other people and you end up becoming tribal with those people. You grow into them and you're more like them. Maybe it's about your neighborhood. It could be about geography, people in your neighborhood you associate with, or it could be about your vocation, other people who do what I do. It could be about your family type or your upbringing. Most likely it's about all these things kind of combined into a soup. And then sometimes your soup tastes a little like someone else's and you go, maybe we're kind of the same. Maybe you're a young mom. That's a tribe. A gamer, grad student, retiree. These are all like functions and aspects of tribes that we are a part of. Ultimately, your identity is, is rooted in Jesus, so let's not lose that. If you're a follower of Christ, you're first and foremost a Christ follower. That's it. And Jesus is enough. That's enough of a tribal uh, indication that you can be with other Christ followers. You don't have to go, well, I'm going to get out of my community group because not enough people do the job I do. It's not known. But within your life, in your everyday rhythms, you are in a tribe. And my wife is a realtor. She works with other realtors. They have a lot of the same problems. They have a lot of the same celebrations. They have a lot of the same trials. Um, they work in the same office. Naturally, these people, she is in their tribe. They've accepted her into the tribe. She's part of the tribe. What about you? Where's your tribe? Who are the two to three people that you vibe with? I think the kids are saying, is that right? Did I do that? Who, are you, who do you vibe with? Um, what are the three to five shared traits or things you look for in people, interests that you have? Jesus, yes, but what else? Some of you are really excited that 
it's the first NFL Sunday today. You're like kind of pulsing excited about it. You might find your tribe that way. We all like to watch the Browns lose. That's what we do, right? <laughs> Snuck it in there, didn't I? Prove me wrong, guys. Prove me wrong. Here's the problem. These, all these things I'm naming are kind of loosely defined ways to get and find your tribe. They're all kind of loosely defined. Most of our relationships in modern life are loosely defined. Most of your relationships are not um, highly committed, formalized. They're loosely defined. We're friends because we're friends until we're not anymore. We're cool because our kids play together, but then their kids grew up or they moved to a different city and we kind of just lost touch. We're kind of loosely defined people. And most of us, if we can even define what our tribe is, can't honestly say that we're living with our tribe, that we're doing real life with other people. Why? We like to keep people at a distance. This is normal. It's for everybody. We all do this. It's a defense mechanism. We all like to keep people at some sort of distance. We like to keep hassle at a minimum. We like to connect when it makes sense for us, which is why uh, statistics show that millennials and under answer a telephone call 0% of the time, right? Why you got to call me? Just text me. Because people want to answer the call when they want to answer the call. This is uh, what some would call, I might call the Netflixification of our culture. Next, Netflixification. There it is. Netflixification of our culture. It's close. What does that mean? We want to consume what we want to consume when we want to consume it. I'm not ready to watch that right now. I'm not ready to hear that right now. I don't want to answer that right now. When someone knocks at your door, do you go, oh, who's that? We want to stream biblical community. Get it when I need it. We want frictionless on-demand relationships. I'll call when I need a friend, but listen, that's not convenient for me right now. This uh, frictionless idea, frictionless on-demand relationship, friction in general brings up a very uh, important topic I think we uh, are going to have to get to, which is macaroni and cheese. Just by show of hands, how many of you have a great homemade mac and cheese recipe? Just show of hands. Some people are pointing at other people. Okay, don't, don't be humble about it. How many of you have an even mediocre mac and cheese recipe that you make sometimes? There we go. All right. Mediocrity. I've had some of your mac and cheese. I'm going to be honest. I've had some. As a lactose intolerant person, that's a great sacrifice on my part, but they've been delicious and I appreciate them. Mac and cheese is delicious. It's tons of friction involved in making mac and cheese, right? To make really good homemade mac and cheese, you can't just have one type of cheese. You have to have more than one. And you know that they, the, the pre-sliced grated cheese has like a, a chemical thing happening that keeps it from glomming together in the bag and does it, so it doesn't melt the same. So if you want good mac and cheese, you have to hand grate from a block. So now you've got to get two blocks of cheese at least if you're going to make good mac and cheese. And then you're hand grating cheese, which seems like it would be fun, but it's a lot of work. And then your knuckles get involved and it's a problem. Even to get those cheese, you had to go to the store. The store's not easy. There's people there, people you didn't want to see. You have to go all the way to the back. They put the cheese in the back, so you've got to go through all the other stuff. Once you get the cheese home, you get it grated. You have to slowly melt it into your roux, which requires some cream and maybe some butter and some flour and your spices. And, and so you're like working a whole system, basically. There's flour involved. Lots of pasta options. You guys have done different things. I've had some of your mac. Some are doing the spiral thing. Some are traditional macaroni. A lot of different options here. I'm a fan of all the options. 
Some of you do breadcrumbs. How many are breadcrumbs people on top of your mac and cheese? A little crispiness? Yes, some people are making, yeah. Bacon? How about bacon in there? You getting hungry? Yeah. How long is he going to preach? I don't know. My favorite, uh, sneaky favorite, there was a brewery in San Antonio that had a green chili, like hatch green chili mac and cheese, and they would serve it if you asked for it, which I was the only person who asked for it. They'd serve it with like a, a zigzag line of uh, sriracha on it. That was good. And lactose plus spices was, that was super good. The point on the mac and cheese is it's, it, making good mac and cheese slows you down. There's so much friction. Everything takes time. You just want pasta slather than cheese, and here you are spending hours putting it all together. And I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are looking at me right now thinking this very thought. Just grab the blue box, dude. <laughs> I can have mac and cheese in eight minutes. It's not that hard. Grab the blue box and go for it. Kraft released this product on the screen. In the 1930s, it eliminated a ton of friction, didn't it? What do you have? Instead of going to the store and getting your cheese and grating cheese and your knuckles along with it, instead of that process, you simply take this sort of nuclear-colored cheese powder and you pour it onto some noodles, you add your butter and your milk, you stir a little bit, it's got some clumps, nobody cares, and you just eat it right out of the pot like an animal, right? Kraft sells a million boxes of this mac and cheese every day. That's their current sales figure, a million boxes a day. 56% of people they surveyed during COVID, remember COVID? Pretend it didn't happen. It happened. The shelves were empty because people needed a shelf-stable food that made them feel good and comfortable and like home. So people bought this. 56% of people reported eating it for breakfast. Yeah. How about that? Yet, when you make Kraft mac and cheese out of the box, have you ever been out of milk and you didn't realize it until you're like 90% of the way through the recipe and you go for the butter and the milk and there's no milk, then what do you do? You ever Googled what to use instead of milk? That's a scary scene. I've measured out how much mayonnaise represents a quarter cup of milk before. I don't recommend it. I'm not proud of it, but I did it. but now you got to have milk. Who has milk laying around these days? That's a lot of friction too, now that we think about it. You know what we really need is something easier, maybe Easy Mac. Easy Mac. Yeah. Now Gen Z is clicking into gear. They're like, I know this. This is Easy Mac. This you open up and the noodles are covered in some sort of anthrax. And then <laughs> you take that little packet out and it's a small packet of radioactive powder. You literally put water in, you put it in the microwave, three and a half minutes later, you take it out, you put your powder in, the anthrax is gone. I don't know where that went. You stir it up and no friction whatsoever mac and cheese. They removed all the friction and all the flavor. It's disgusting. You might as well just eat a shoe. It's awful. The taste went with the friction and it's terrible. You know that scene in Jurassic Park where they're talking about the dinosaurs are getting made? This is a relatively new movie. Maybe you've seen it. Um, and the scientist, the Malcolm, Ian Malcolm guy, he says, you know, you got so uh, interested in whether you could, you didn't stop to think of whether you should when talking about recreating dinosaurs. This is what I think of when I think of things like Easy Mac. We got so excited thinking about whether we could do this, we didn't stop to think whether we should do this. Here's why I say it that way. 
we as a people are so focused on making things convenient and easier and frictionless, we don't often stop to consider whether that's actually a good choice for us in our lives. And so we become Netflixed people, we become streaming people, we, we do it to our relationships, we do it in our communities, we do it, and we don't actually stop to go, is this actually better or is it just less friction in my life? I'm here to change that. I'd like to make my point in, uh, in a really obnoxious way. Um, next week, we are going to be hosting the first ever Covenant Church's Kyle Burkholder Memorial Lactose Intolerance Awareness Pro-Am Fam Jam Fun Run Mac and Cheese Cook-Off. You were asking for it. I don't know who started this rumor. Somebody wanted it. We're going to do it. So next Sunday, when you show up for Fam Jam, if you go to the big kitchen, which is all the way down that hall by the gym, and you take your thing of mac and cheese, homemade mac and cheese, box mac, you can bring an easy mac if you want, and you enter that into our contest... We will, at 12.30 during Fam Jam, reveal the winners of our homemade mac and cheese contest. This is so serious. I'm like, somebody, somebody designed and made t-shirts for the whole thing that literally have it on the back of the shirt. I don't know who authorized any of this. This is, this is just, a, I don't know where that even came from. But that's there. Here's why we're doing this. I want to be so obnoxious about this that we make the point where a lot of you next Saturday or Sunday morning or whenever you're making this and you're stirring all this stuff up and you're going, hey, why did I agree to do this? So much work. I want you to go, this is good. This is good work. We need this. And then when you're here on Sunday and I set out all these little plates and a thousand spoons and you're able to take little bits from everybody's and taste, ooh, hers is good. I like what he did. This is great. And you get to taste everybody's. You get to go, you know what? Hard work's really delicious. Because what we're after as a people, this is a representation. I want to do it in a physical, sort of funny, but physical way because I want us to recognize that hard work and friction is really good for us. Life is more delicious when it's a little bit more work. And this is not make things harder just to make them harder. This is recognizing when we look at community, we look at the way we live, we have eliminated all the friction and we've eliminated the deliciousness from life. God didn't create you to live a solo curated Netflix life. What am I trying to say? I want you to taste and see that friction is good. I'll leave it at that, okay? The shirts are available on Amazon. We get 0% of the profits. It was just to be fun. Um, we'll put the links out for everybody. We want you to taste and see that friction is good because our culture will not help you in this pursuit. Your culture is increasingly working on making things frictionless. Everything in our way of life actually opposes the Jesus way of life. Your life is increasingly and expertly engineered to get you somewhere you're told you want to go with the least amount of inconvenience along the way. This is just the fact of our modern reality. Whether that's entertainment or sex or relationships or whatever, the, the culture is pulling you in in a frictionless way to something you didn't even know you wanted. And it turns out once you get there, it's not all that satisfying. But you're never more than a phone swipe away from meaningless, frictionless, worthlessness. And that's not to demonize what's in your phone. It's to say that we are all susceptible to falling into this trap. Because they make it easy. They make it easy. It's easy, Mac, but it's in your real life. They just make it so easy. Why wouldn't I just do the easy thing? When what we long for is meaning and purpose. It's easier to stay at home on Tuesday night and not go to a community group and like be with people 
and maybe be vulnerable or maybe chisel on somebody or maybe just engage in real community or maybe someone's going through a hard time and I got to lean in and help. Like it's easier just to be at home. But it's not better. If you're going to make the most of your life, I would suggest you need friction. The Bible suggests it as well. Proverbs 27, 17 famously says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. So simply identifying your tribe is not the end of the story today. If they aren't close enough for friction, if you're not close enough with other people to have friction in your life, then you're missing out on the sharpening of your days. Like I, I like to cook. I have a Japanese chef's knife. And I also have honing steel, like this, the round thing he's holding against the cutting board. Because you take a chef's knife and you scrape it against the side of this kind of gritty honing steel. And as you scrape the knife against the steel, it actually shaves off the dull bits of the knife. Because it's no good to cut with a dull knife. What's the point? And so you have to shave off the dull bits in order to get to the real bits. What was the knife created for? It's created to cut designed for that. You were designed for real community. You were designed to be sharpened in your days. You were designed for something bigger than simply streaming the next thing. But it requires, if you're really designed for that, it requires that you have a honing blade in your life. You have something in your life that's going to scrape off the dull bits, that's going to point out when you're off, that's going to show you when you're a little insane on this one. You're like, hey, maybe, maybe back off of that. Maybe a little more of this. Hey, we haven't seen you in a while. Are you guys Okay. Summer's weird for me because I miss some of you guys. I lose you for a minute. I'm like, I didn't see you for three weeks. And where'd you go for two weeks? And I'll actually ask. Not because I'm trying to hold you to account because I'm a little worried. Like, are you guys okay? Because we didn't see you and I just want to make sure everything's cool. That's what, that's what sharpening looks like. Is you want people to miss you when you're not around. And our culture would say, no, no, no. You want to sneak in anonymously, consume what you want and then leave and not be bothered with people. And the best feeling in the world is when somebody notices when you're not there. Because then you know you're actually part of something. That's what we're aiming for. That's how community works. That's how your tribe works. That's how getting involved in people's lives works. The grit and the adversity creates a sharpness and a resilience. And we say we want to be sharper and resilient. We say we want grit in our lives. We say we want to be better. But then it's hard and it hurts a little bit. You were created for it. Some of you are disengaged from community. You're in the community, but you're disengaged from actual, real, gritty, sharpening community. You're not close enough to anybody to be sharpened. And I would say in that world, life gets dull. Not, not dull in the sense that you can't find excitement. The world will offer you all the excitement you want. You can swipe any way you want to get all the excitement you need. But it won't satisfy. It dulls. It fades. And it begins to lose the purpose for which it was created like the knife that never gets sharpened, if your life is not part of community, if your life is not being sharpened by another, if your life is not close enough to another to really get that friction and become who God has made you to be, if you're not close enough, you end up dulling and fading away from the purpose for which you were created. So you need Jesus, yes, 100%. Some people go, I just need Jesus, that's all I need, great. But you also need others. You need the others who are following Jesus to keep you on track. Jesus never, in his teaching, never said, go it alone. He said, follow me. He never left somebody who, he invited people to believe all the time. And he never said, now that you understand, back to your independent world. He said, you want to be part of this, you got to follow me and it's going to be hard. We're going to chisel on you. It's going to be difficult. You're going to lose some stuff along the way, but it's worth it. I promise. It's what you're created for. 
And so you, my friends, uh, you need more friction in your life. Some of you need to rejoin a community group or get involved for the first time. Others need to re-engage or actually get serious. I want you to overwhelm Casey. Casey Andis is our new discipleship director. I put this here on the screen so you can remember. I already said it once, bgcovenant.org slash community. I want to overwhelm Casey this week with the number of people who filled out the little form on there and said, I really need friction in my life. I need community in my life. And I'm gonna let you help me figure it out. And you need a group on Friday night and we don't have a group on Friday night, we're gonna have to make one. Because we are so serious about you finding real places of friction and godly biblical community in your life, we'll figure it out together. If I need to start a new group and host you, I'll be the group leader, we'll do it together. But I wanna overwhelm him because I want you engaged. Maybe you want to host a women's group or a men's group. Maybe you want to start a Bible study in your house. Maybe you, you just want people around you. You don't know how to even make that happen. This is the place to do it. Invite friction in your life. The, see, the results, when you don't invite this, this sharpening, this iron sharpens iron, when you don't invite that in your life, it feels like it's not that big a deal at first. You can just kind of skate by. But eventually, if you are disengaged from community, it will bite you. It can become tragic. It's a friend of mine. It was a, a leader of his community group. I had led him to Christ years and years ago. We left, obviously moved here from Texas. And this friend uh, was leading a community group at that time. So he had people in his life every day. He was sharpening them. They're sharpening him. They eventually changed churches. And he began to disengage from everything, really. So he disengaged from friends and he changed churches. So he didn't know anybody. He was new there. He was anonymous. He disengaged from his faith a little bit as a result because no one was kind of challenging and pushing him into that. He had no regular rhythm or relational friction. He, he then starts questioning his faith a little bit. Yeah, I don't know if I really, I don't know. I mean, this ooh, it's kind of hard. With his dulling faith, he looked up one day, he had a dulling marriage, but there's no one to tell him that. He just was going through the motions. One day on a business trip, he called me, panicked. He had met someone and more on a business trip. I said, what, what is happening in your life? What are you talking about? I said, well, you need to go tell everybody you know about this. Tell your community, tell your wife. I don't, I don't, I don't really have those people. Who am I supposed to tell? I'm telling you, I called you. And I'm like, well, I haven't seen you in five years. Why are you calling? I'm the person you call? Yeah, I don't have any of those people. I was like, well, you have to develop them to tomorrow or I'll, your, your marriage is going the wrong direction fast. Four months later, I got another call. Same panic in his voice, no community, hadn't told anybody. Now he sees his kids every other weekend. Like that, just happened. He made choices. But I looked at, I zoomed out and he was just disengaged from community. That's what it was. He disengaged from life with biblical community, he disengaged with followers of Christ. He disengaged and just kind of lived his life and he put his head down and he went to work every day and he tried to be a good husband and a good father and he did all the things, but there was nobody to hold him up when he was weak. There was nobody to call him out when he was wrong. There was nobody to love him when he was struggling. There was nobody. And left to our own devices, we are all one decision. We are all one choice. We're all one season from a, a season like that. And we, none of us believe it. In our pride, we think, well, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't do that. Better than that, no, but for the grace of God, you go. We are one series of choices in one short season from finding our lives somewhere we never intended them to be. And the surest way to keep away from those gutters is to have people in your life. 
who before you get there can walk in and say, I see something in your life and I'm going to say it. You may not like it. I love you. You know I love you, but here's what you need to hear. Those are the best kind of friends to have. And you cannot have them when you are um, curating life on a streaming cycle of when I need you, I'll call you. You need friction. I believe God also um, wants you to engage your tribe. I said God has entrusted you with time, talent, treasure, and a tribe. There are people you are uniquely wired to connect with that I will never be able to connect with. Maybe God is inviting you to become a little loving friction to someone else today. To love and challenge someone else to live out the countercultural Jesus way. Okay, I have an uncle. I'm a kind of a city kid. I don't know much about anything outside. Not very good with tools. It's a whole problem. I have an uncle who is the president of a, a seed company, seeds like that go in the ground. His father was president of the company like starting in the 50s. He's been in this company for years as well. He's 40 years in the seed industry. These are the kind of people who have cowboy boots and hats for a reason. And so ranchers and people who have pastures and farms in Texas, they know to go to him. His seeds are good. So if, if my uncle Dean and I were introduced to a, a Texas rancher who needed to replenish his pasture, and he had the seeds and I had some seeds, who wins that? Who wins that? Who gets the contract there? Well, my uncle Dean. I have no idea what I'm talking about. I don't know these people. I'm not with these people. I'm not like these. These are not my tribe. I can go in and fake it, but they'll know really quickly, this is not it. And yet he walks in and he is naturally one of the, he's with these people. They are him and he is them. So when he walks in and he's got his Southern drawl and his cowboy hat and hay sticking out of his mouth if he wants to, it's not an act. I'd have to go buy it at Party City. He just has it in his closet. (laughs) He's one of them. And I'm an outsider in that group. So help me here. If we're inviting people to the Jesus way, if if our life is about, if we really believe that the Jesus way has changed our life, has transformed us, has given us new life and purpose, if we really believe that, then are we inviting others to it? And if we are inviting others to it, Who's more likely to reach a young mom? A young mom or me? Who's more likely to reach teenage girls, retired men, cancer survivors, children of adoption, clinical psychologists, weekend softball players, Ohio State fans, whoever? Find your niche, find your tribe, find the people that you're with that I'm not. Who's more likely to reach them, you or me? And this goes back to my weeks in Syracuse where I go to church and I go, Lord, is this really it? And I said, what is it you need me to hear? And the guy stands up, he says, the best people to reach those people in the tribe are already in the tribe. And I went, oh, yeah. He was saying, we don't need a bunch of um, middle-aged white missionaries to go into the Native American tribes to reach the tribes. We just need to go and speak to the people who are already following Jesus there and encourage them and equip them and and send them in. They're, They're already there. And I said, yep. Same is true for you. Same is true for me. Who is it you're already in with? Who is the tribe you already have? You are uniquely equipped and wired to reach those people with the love of Jesus. Church exists. We pay a pastor and a staff and we have elders. We exist. The Bible would say our role is to equip the saints, that's us, to the work of ministry. Not do the ministry. It's to equip each other to the work of ministry. The ministry is to know Jesus and make him known. 
You've been given a tribe and some of you are disengaged and growing dull. There is danger there, so be careful. Others of you have opted for frictionless life of consumption. Instead, it is easier to feed myself than to be iron that sharpens other iron. It's not fuller. It's not more delicious. We know that. But you have the unique ability, and some might even suggest, I think the Bible would suggest the responsibility to pursue Jesus with all of your days and then to invite other people into the Jesus way as well, to know Jesus and make him known, to show friends their path of peace, to to show friends the one who actually has hope for their future, to show your friends, your neighbors, your relatives that there is grace for the guilty, that there is salvation for the shame. You've been entrusted with influence in your tribe. You've been entrusted with influence with other teachers, other contractors, other pastors. And you can bury that as we think about this parable in one last twist of the parable. You can bury the influence that God has entrusted you with on this earth. You can say, that's cool. Seems like a lot of work though. And then you live the buried life and you get what comes with it. Or you engage. And then what we'll do together as a community is create little ways to make this easier, create little ways to help you get there. And so um, next week, Fam Jam, we'll put the graphic up. Fam Jam is next week. Why do we do Fam Jam? The whole reason we do Fam Jam is because it's an easy way to invite our community to come and experience our love and our hospitality. That's it. If it was just for us, we wouldn't be going to the bird streets and putting flyers on every door this week. We want to invite the community because we want the community to experience the love and hospitality and the grace and the goodness of this community just out there, just at a food truck, just on the rock wall, just maybe a conversation, maybe who knows what. Because when Christmas comes around and they go, well, I got to go to church somewhere, we'd love for them to walk in here accidentally, hear the gospel and have their life changed forever by Jesus. And it's not some big grand strategy that has all these moving parts. It's literally saying, how can we use some of our resources and our time and our beautiful lawn and nice weather? How do we use that to show people the Jesus way? And then we offer it as a community because what we want you to do is take it to that neighbor or that coworker. You go, man, they are not interested in church at all. I could never ask them to church. And you get to say, hey, we have church at 10, but this week at 11, right after church is done, we have a party and there's food trucks and you can bring your kids or, you know, come hang out or sit in the sun or whatever. It's fun. You don't have to come to church. It's at 10 if you want to go. It's really great. You should come to church. But you don't have to, you know, it's not about coming to church. It's about getting them here so that they might meet somebody and the spark builds and, oh, I knew you. I went to college with you. This is great. You're still here. Interesting. You go to church here? I don't go to church. Interesting. I don't care about people attending church. I care about the church attending to the people. We have to start attending to the people around us. We have to start reaching out to the people around us because we believe that the Jesus way will change their life. This is the easiest way we provide every year. Invite people to a party with some food trucks. It's there for you. I want to be clear that Jesus doesn't need us to sell him. We are not uh, selling seeds Jesus doesn't need us to sell him. Jesus does not require us to sell him. Jesus is not dependent on us to sell him. It is not up to us. The Holy Spirit does the work of drawing hearts to himself. The beauty of what we are offered to do is that God invites us into participating in the redemptive work of his creation. So the great privilege is you get to be part of the redemption of your friends and neighbors and relatives and coworkers. You get to be part of the process of somebody coming alive for real. It's beautiful. 
You get to cheer your friends on as they find real life. You get to engage your tribe in a meaningful way. You get to find life that has purpose and meaning and satisfaction at the end. You get to be light and love to the world around you. That is the whole point. So let's close the parable. We have been entrusted each to according to his or her abilities. We've all been entrusted. Holy Spirit fueled time, all these skills and gifts, these talents. We've been entrusted with certain amounts of treasure and we have been entrusted with a tribe in which you have unique influence. And one day the master will return and the question will be asked, what did you do with all that I entrusted you with? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your uh, word speaks clearly. Thank you for uh, Jesus. Thank you for his life and his sacrifice, his death and resurrection. Father, thank you for the parables that uh, were left for us, that were preserved for us, that we open up, pick apart. God, thank you for the depth of your word. Father, our prayer as a community is that you would... uh, Encourage us, encourage every heart, fan the flame of every heart, that there be no guilt or shame for what we've yet to do, but Lord, can you give us the vision of what happens in lives when we do what you've called us to do, when we live the life you've created for us? God, we wanna be uh, faithful in our following of you. We wanna be faithful with the gifts you've entrusted us with. More than that, Lord, we want more of you in our lives. So as we follow you, as we obey your word, Lord, would you be present with us? tangibly present. We might grow in intimacy with you. We might grow in joy with you. We might enter into the joy of you, our master. So God, we love you. We thank you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.